Okay, today we're going to be talking about um, prayer. I want to talk specifically about this concept of asking God. You know, over the years I've prayed for many things, and I'm sure you have too. Um, and I remember so clearly in those early days as a Christian, just not only was it mind-blowing for me that, that God was real and that God would and could communicate with me, although obviously, uh, you know, learning how that whole thing between heaven and earth works uh, is it's different, right? And working out what that looked like. But I still remember how mind-blowing it was that I could pray and God would answer and God would intervene in this world in significant ways. It was an extraordinary thing. I remember, I remember one day when I was hitchhiking, and I must have been saved not very long, maybe, I don't know, maybe a year or so, and uh, used to hitchhike a lot. I was hitchhiking between my parents' home in Tauranga, the Bay of Plenty, and Dunedin, because we had no money, so I couldn't fly, so I hitchhiked all the way, and that's like, that's a couple of day journey, and um, spent many, many wonderful evenings uh, sleeping on park benches, uh, in bus shelters, and in cricket sheds. There's a, there used to be a great little cricket shed just as you go out of Picton. There's a big round grass area there. They used to have a cricket shed there and often there'd be two or three of us dosed down there uh, with our heads on our packs sleeping after we got off the late ferry hoping to catch the first rush of drivers out of Picton in the morning. Anyway, this one particular time I was hitchhiking and I got picked up by this, this um, older gentleman and we got chatting and, and it soon came out because um, I was pretty excited that I was a Christian, and then he mentioned to me that not only was he a Christian, but he was actually an elder, and an elder in an Elam church. Uh, this was quite amazing, and so we got chatting, and, and I still remember the moment in the discussion when, and I'm telling him about how God was answering my prayers and some amazing things that had happened, and uh, we got to this one point, and I remember he had just had the cynical little grin on his face, and he chuckled, and he said, oh, he said, you're still at that stage that honeymoon stage where God is still answering your prayers. Now, I was really stunned by that. I'm still in that honeymoon stage where God is still answering my prayers. What was implied in that is that that'll end soon. And I, I just remember being so struck by that and so saddened by that. And I, be, I remember sitting in that car determining that I was never going to allow myself to slip into that kind of mindset. Does God really get to the point where he stops listening to our asking? Does God really get to the point where he goes, oh, well, we've, you've had your three wishes, and now you're back to real life? That has not been my experience, and that has not been what we find in the Scriptures. But today I want to talk about our asking, because I've noticed certainly in me, and maybe it relates to some of us here this morning, that there can be a problem both in how we ask and in how much we ask. So firstly, uh, in my life I've noticed over the years at various times that there can be a lack of asking. And so I want to ask you a question this morning as we start. What are the things that you feel you cannot ask God for? What are the things that you feel you cannot ask God for? Because I know in my life over the years, I've, had, I've gone through seasons where I've kind of realized at some point that there's a whole chunk of my life and that I felt that I can't ask God for things in that area. Three areas have come to mind. One is there have been seasons in my life where I've got to the place of going, and it hasn't been conscious. I've only realized it later, but realized that I can't ask God for things to do with my work. 
Secondly, I can't ask, and I'll unpack this in a minute, I can't ask God for things that relate to my personal enjoyment. And thirdly, I can't ask God in relation to things to do with my failings or my failures. Let me unpack this a little bit for you. You see, the first one that I felt that I couldn't ask God for things that pertain to my work, I felt that because it was my work and I was being paid by somebody to do this job that I had no right to ask his involvement because this was on me. The problem is you end up as a functional atheist. A functional atheist whereby you may say you love Jesus and you may go to church on Sunday and sing the songs, but functionally in life you live as if he does not exist. And I think that's a tragedy when it comes to our work because our work is our best eight or nine hours of most of our best days and to spend that huge chunk of our life that God actually gifted us for and for many of us called us to and to do that without any reference to God or, or in any way accessing his wisdom or his resources or his insight, that is just simply crazy. But, you know, we can find ourselves in that place. I remember many years ago when we were pastoring in Dunedin, and I had, a, I had an issue with a, a staff member that I'd employed. And, um, you know, it's funny sometimes pastors are not always the greatest at recruitment because we tend to come at life with a real faith perspective, like, you know, oh, I know she doesn't have the experience, but she'll be great. I believe in her. I know she doesn't have the skill set we're after, but I think she can do it. Yes, I do. Because that's what we pastors do, right? We believe in people, which is great for people and, and for life. It's terrible when you're recruiting people for a specific position. So I, I'd employed this fantastic young woman, knowing that she didn't have the skill sets in the areas that we needed, and over the ensuing two years realized that she wasn't interested in learning them, which became problematic because it was to do with things that required you know, government sign-offs and those sorts of things. And so we were, in some ways, almost operating illegally because we weren't meeting these, and it just was not working. And I was sitting in a car with a mate of mine who's another pastor, and I was lamenting this. How do I get into this situation, and how can I fix this? And I've tried talking to her about it again and again, and nothing's going to shift, and I don't know what to do. And he came back to me with this. He said, have you prayed about it? <laughs> Please. I'm a pastor. Have I prayed about it? No, I haven't. How how did that happen? I haven't prayed about it. And and that was when I realized for the first time that actually subtly at some level, I felt that with work-related things, that was on me to solve. We sat in that car. (laughs) I was so embarrassed. We prayed about it. True story. Her resignation was on my desk the very next morning. Why didn't I ask God earlier? It could have saved both her and me a world of pain. Secondly, I felt that my enjoyment was not on God's agenda, especially, right, when there's so much suffering in the world, so much difficulty. What right have I got to ask God for anything that would pertain to me and my enjoyment? It just felt selfish. It just felt self-centered, right? I remember we were on a team retreat day, and um, one of the things that I always did with my, with my staff teams when we went on a team retreat day is I'd always give them a single sheet of paper, and on it would be four questions that I'd come up with. And for this particular hour on the, in the program, the deal was everyone had to go away by themselves, and the rule was you're not allowed to talk to anybody but God for that one hour. And the, what you've got to do is you've got to, over that hour, you've got to ask God these four questions and then write down underneath what you feel the Holy Spirit is saying to you. 
So funny, eh? Of all the years I've done staff retreats and team trainings, all of the hours I've put into putting curriculum together and writing out programs without, without question, that one hour is the most fruitful and enjoyable and influential hour of anything I've ever done. You'd think at some point I'd wake up, right? Just go, staff retreat, just go talk to God. He's got all the answers. So what happened this particular time was, one of the questions I'd written down was this. It was, Lord, is there an area in my life that I'm not having faith for that I should be? Lord, is there an area of my life that I'm not having faith for that you know I should be? So I sent all the team off, and they were all walking the park or the beach or wherever it was, I can't remember. And, and, uh, and then I'm sitting there going, oh, well, I guess I should do this as well. And um, so I pull out the sheet, and this is the first question. And so I'm like, all right, Lord, is there an area of my life that I'm not having faith for that I should be? And I'm thinking like, you know, more souls or greater community empower. I'm, I'm expecting something like that to come back from the Lord. As I said it out loud, like instantaneously inside me somewhere, the answer came, and this is what the answer was. Yes, a boat. I'm like, that sounds like the devil to me. I'm like, what? A boat? Now, this was, you need to understand, this was deeply uncomfortable for me, right? Like, asking for anything for me was deeply uncomfortable. You asked Liz about this. And, 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 so, and, and I felt the Lord say to me, you have wanted a boat for years. Take your kids out biscuiting, do stuff with the family, go fishing. You've wanted this for years. Why won't you ask me? And I'm just like, well, I, I can't. Like, because you see, I grew up in a pretty poor family, and we never really had a whole lot of stuff. And, and it, was a, it was a pretty kind of conservative kind of approach to life and, and finance and theology and all those sorts of things. And it was certainly said to me more than once that, you know, that a, a church congregation's job is to keep their pastor poor so they can keep him humble. The only problem with that is I don't think it's biblical at all. Uh, but, but, you know, so, so this whole idea, you know, tied in with all of the excesses of prosperity gospels and all those sorts of things. This was something I was deeply, deeply uncomfortable with. And yet I felt that this was God was challenging me on. And boy, I, tell, I didn't go back and talk to the team about that one. But I said, all right, God, well, let's just see what this does. So I said, okay, God, yeah, I'd like a boat. I'd love just something that I could take the kids out biscuiting and it'd be, it'd be awesome. Well, to my astonishment, four or five months later, something came along and we happened to have enough finance for it. And we bought this little old boat with a with an engine that I had to keep hauling up because it didn't have any automatic tip and it was, but it was great and we had, we had so much fun dragging the kids around uh, the Central Otago Lakes on it and, and, and not just our kids but you know, we'd see other families here with kids, yeah we'll take your kids for a ride in the boat if we had it for a couple of years it was such a blessing to our family I, I need to tell you, something got healed in me that day interesting eh and it's really interesting because with my kids I want my kids to ask me for the things that they enjoy. Like when they get to Christmas time, hey kids, what do you want for Christmas? And they give me their list of all the things they want and I go, great, I'm going to buy the opposite. <laughs> Keep them humble. Yet some of us think that that's how God deals with us, right? Like if we, who are so imperfect love, just the delight of giving our kids some stuff that, they know, that we know they're going to love, is it really inconceivable that God could not want that for us at some level? I think we need to shift our theology on that. Thirdly, 
I felt that my failures were my responsibility to fix. And I had no right to expect God to help me out. Which again is so interesting, right? Because with my own kids and with my team, when, when, when my kids or my team make mistakes or, or things go wrong, I know from long experience that there will be few better teachable moments. And to be able to get in amongst the difficulties and help them learn the lessons and come through, man, that is so powerful. I remember one time in Dunedin, we, we, we ran a youth camp and um, a couple of weeks afterwards, my youth pastor had to come and give me the breakdown. And he said, he said, Pastor Mike, I want to tell you that the, the camp went so well. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. He said, but, he said, but we blew the budget by $3,000. The whole camp only cost like $4,000. So this was like, what? Like how, how, how did you do that? Like that was unbelievable. And he was so embarrassed and he was feeling terrible. And, and so this is what I said to him. I said, look, here's the deal, real easy. You're going to go away and you're going to work out what the heck went wrong. And you're going to detail for me all of the finances and where you overspent and how you overspent and why you overspent. And you're going to then detail for me what the lessons are that you learned so that you will never do this again. And I'll consider it the best $3,000 I've spent on your professional development in the last five years. And he did. And he came back and he explained where they'd gone wrong and, and the lessons he'd learned of what he was never going to do again. And that was fantastic. So, so if, if actually I see that in roles like that, failure is a wonderful and powerful place to be involved. Why do I think that God would abandon me in my failures? Let me ask you again. What are the things that you feel you can't ask God for? Because just maybe you might need to. We're going to look at a couple of important scripture passages today. Both, interestingly enough, point us towards the example of children. And we're going to start in Matthew 18, verse 3. Jesus says, truly I tell you, listen to this, truly I tell you, unless you change. Isn't it interesting? Unless you change. That's confronting without even reading the rest of the scripture. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is looking at his disciples, and we're all disciples, saying, unless you change and become more like kids, unless you do that, unless you change and embody that simple faith and trust that kids have with their parents who they know love them, unless you get that, unless you intentionally try and shift towards that, you're going to miss out on so much stuff. And this takes us, I think, to the, to the issue of not just how much we ask, but how we ask. Let me ask you this. Are your prayers, if we're really honest, are they more like kind of, you know, arrows shot up into the sky, hoping that maybe they'll hit something? Or are they more like a kid getting hold of a caring mum or dad face to face and asking them for something? Which is it? Because scripture is repeatedly clear that prayer is meant to be like a face-to-face -face relationship, not a firing random arrows up. Well, and I hear that all the time. And to be honest, I've heard myself say it at times. Well, let's just fire a prayer up. What is firing a prayer up? I learned a very powerful lesson like this once from my three-year-old. When Ali, who's our eldest and who's now 22, when she was three years old, three or four years old, we were in church, we were pastoring in church, and... Um, 
you know, Sunday after church in the cafe, there's lots of talking and chatting to people, all that sort of stuff is going along. And she would toddle up and when she wanted my attention for something, she would grab my pant leg and tug on my pant leg. And so I would kind of ignore her as long as I could because I'm having important conversations and eventually I'd pick her up and she'd go, Daddy, Daddy. And I'd go, baby, I'm, I'm just talking to someone right now. I'm talking to someone right now. She said, wait, she would not be listened to. Daddy, Daddy. And then when she had had enough, she would grab with her little pudgy hands, she would reach out and she'd grab either side of my face and she would haul my face around until we were nose to nose. And then she'd look right in my eyes and go, Daddy. And you know what? There's nothing you can do when that happens. You've just got to laugh, right? you just got to laugh. I'd just laugh and I'd go, and I'd go sorry, I'm just going to be a minute just talking to Ellie. Can I say that sometimes I think God is wanting us to go after him like Ellie came after me? Get hold of him, get face to face with him. I think that is the essence of prayer. And how do we do that? Ah, you know, there, There's something about it which goes beyond just firing prayers up. There's something about us about trying to find that place in that space inside us or inside our heart or our mind where we, we kind of get a sense of, God, I'm talking to you. God, do I have your attention? We've got to find a way to that place where we can stand and face and go, I think you're hearing me. So while you are, that is the place that we've got to find ourselves. You see, Ellie knew that she had to get face to face with me when she asked for something. And can I say, I think that we need to work much harder at getting face to face with God when we're going to ask him for something. And I don't think that that means it's hard work. But I do think we need to be intentional about it. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the power and importance of what we believe. We talked about that truth that God sees you. God sees you. And we talked about when we actually get that belief in us, it changes not only what we feel, but it changes what we do and how we behave. Can I say this morning, we need to get this in us, that God is wanting us to get face to face with Him. God is wanting us to bring our ask. And it means that we don't ask like someone who's expecting not to be heard. But I think that there are many times we pray and we ask God like someone who's expecting not to be heard. See, Matthew 7, Jesus takes us into this whole thing of prayer again. Let me read this to you. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, honestly, which of you, if your son asks you for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, or a fillet of fish, with a Coke, some fries, (laughs) will you give him a snake? If you then, though, and this is it, right? If you then, though you're evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your Father in heaven give give good gifts to those who ask Him? Here's what we notice. Number one, this is an instruction. This is not a suggestion. In the Greek, it's the imperative form. Ask. God is saying, ask me. Ask me. Come on, ask me. In fact, He doesn't just say that. um, Theological commentators say that there's an escalation of intention. An escalation of intention. Ask, don't just ask, seek. Come after this. Find me. Knock and the door will be opened. Like, have you ever thought, have you ever knocked on a door expecting it to not open? 
Like, this is ridiculous, right? No one, we never go knocking on a door and expecting it not to be open. The reason why we knock on the door is because we're pretty sure someone's inside and they're going to open the door. And we want to see them. That's why we knock. Jesus says, ask and, and come after me. Seek and knock. The sense of an expectation that the door will indeed be opened. I love this. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, he wrote this. Sorry, he said this, he preached this. His doors are meant to open. They were made on purpose for entrance. And so the blessed gospel of God is made on purpose for you to enter into life and peace. It would be of no use to knock at a wall. But you may wisely knock at a door for it is arranged for opening. Ask is the instruction. The promise is ask and you'll receive. And the evidence is observe a little child with its mum or its dad. I love being, you know, being here midweek, being part of our Elon Music program or Urban Mums program and just watching these mums with their babies, with their little toddlers. It's such a powerful thing, particularly when I realize Jesus says to me, yeah, you boy, you need to change to be more like that. These little children fed and clothed and protected and cared for and responded to, requests made and always answered, almost always yes, very occasionally no, not right now. And Jesus says, God is like you, only a million times better. And see, this is not because we make God in our image. It's like Liz says, no, it's because we're made in his image. Ask, seek, knock, God is waiting to respond. You see, God's intent is for you to ask, for you to see what, we, what, what might be good, what might be helpful, important, fun even, and to ask so that he can resource you and grow you and use you. The devil's intent is to keep you from asking because if he can keep you from asking, he can keep you from receiving all that God has available to resource you with. And we might be sitting going, well, why, why do I have to ask? Because asking is an incredibly important sign of maturity. See, when a baby grows up, it goes, a baby is entirely dependent. But then a baby, when it starts to move into the journey of independence, learns to ask. It recognizes its dependence and it asks. Then what happens is they become teenagers and then they become incredibly independent and they don't ask for anything. Okay? But the highest level of maturity is what they call interdependence. When you realize actually, This only works when we do it together. And so I need to ask you for what you you can help me with, and you need to ask me for what I can help you with. This is called the highest level of maturity. It's interesting. Some of you know that we've taken our kids to this thing called JHAATRO, this uh, interdenominational um, parent-child adventure camp, and taken all the kids through it. And one of the great things they do at this camp is they, they teach you about um, the, the changes in parenting that must happen as a child changes. Because like a, a child changes as they grow up, but the problem is most of our parenting styles don't change at all. And they, they identify four key stages. The first stage is the caregiver stage from, a, you know, from zero to about four or five or six, somewhere in there, where the whole focus of parenting is caring and, and, and being there and providing and nurturing and all that kind of thing. And then from about five or six through to about 12, 
that they call the stage the cop stage. When you've got to be a, the policeman, you've got to help them to understand the rules of life and, and how things work and, and discipline and, and consequences and all those sorts of things. Man, I was an excellent cop. The problem is that for many of us parents, we get there, we like it so much, we stay there for the rest of our lives. But this is from the age of 12 or 13 on, actually, you need to transition because your children are transitioning and you need to now become a coach. The age of 12 or 13 and, and, and independence is starting to, to begin to happen. They don't need you telling them what they can or can't do. They need you coming alongside and going, hey, have you thought about this? If it goes this way, this might happen. I don't know if you really want to do that. Like It becomes a subtly different relationship. But then when you get to about 18, then you get into the final stage. And the final stage is often one of the hardest ones. And it is when you become a consultant. A consultant. And the difficulty about being a consultant is it means you have to wait to be asked. Man, my kids are all over 18. 18 or over. I do not want to wait to be asked. I can see what they're doing wrong. I got some great advice. And I, and for a long time, I've taken every opportunity to put that advice in. But, you know, I, but the way it works best is when I realize, now, these are adults now. You guys, this is your life. You do what you want. And if I let them run long enough, eventually they'll hit a wall, and then they come and go, oh, hey, Dad, I was just, you know, don't know, can you give me some advice on this? Oh, well, haven't really thought about it, but I probably could. You know, I've thought of nothing else for the last year than this. But being a consultant is so hard, right, because you so want to help, and you so have the resources to help, and you so have the wisdom to help, but you need to love them enough and believe in them enough and respect them enough to wait until they what? Ask. Can I suggest that God loves you enough and believes in you enough and respects you enough to wait until you ask? And what might happen if I asked, if we asked, what might happen if we asked more? Do you know what the worst thing that could happen is? The worst thing that could happen is nothing. Nothing happens. That's the worst, honestly. Can we cope with that? We need to ask more. The best that could happen is that God begins to move and resource you in your life in fresh ways that surprise and amaze you and enable you in these brief years of yours that God has given you on this planet to truly truly find your purpose and make a difference in the world such that when you get to your dying day, you can sit there with a smile on your face as you transition to glory, knowing that God used you for something special while you were on this earth. We'll get the team up now as we come to the close. And this is such an important part of being a disciple because Jesus himself was someone who asked Read the Gospels again. Note every time that Jesus prayed, because when he's praying, he was asking, and he prayed a lot. And as a result, impacted his world in ways that still astonish us today. Maybe it's time for us to start asking again, and ask with a whole different level of intentionality. You know, when I was at high school, there were three of us who were, who were good buddies, and uh, went through school together, and, and we were great mates. And then at the end of school, we all went different ways. One of them went to the Air Force. Another one went farming, dairy farming, and I went off to university. And, and then, uh, you know, did my university. But then I got saved. And when I first got saved, what I started doing was praying for these boys, praying for my mates. I started asking God that He might reach them, that He might 
save them. You know, and, and, and I know that there were many other people praying as well. But I do believe that my asking was a part in what happened. So I would occasionally, whenever I'd go home, my friend of mine who went farming, he, he farmed in an area relatively close to where my parents were. So whenever I'd go home from Varsity, hitchhike back home, I'd bust out and, and see him. And uh, he thought it was hilarious that I got saved. He thought it was the funniest thing. Because, you know, we used to drink together and do all this kind of thing, and I wouldn't anymore. And so whenever I'd go and see him, I'd, I'd rock up to the farm, pull up in the driveway, wander inside his house, because it was always unlocked. I'd go, Dave! And wherever he was, whether he was there with the cow shed, he'd call back, Mike! And then he'd go, hey, are you still a Christian? And I'd go, yeah! And he would shriek with laughter. He thought it was the funniest thing he ever heard. But he didn't know I was asking. One day, so he tells the story, he finished milking and he was standing there at the milking shed and he had an open-eyed vision of God. And standing either side of God were his two parents. Both of his parents had passed away when we were teenagers. And in this vision, God was looking at him and his parents were facing the other way and he felt that what the message was is that his parents were displeased with him, with the way he was living his life. His mother had been a missionary and also with how he, what he was doing, you know, he was involved with this girl, wasn't a particularly honorable relationship. He was going to this girl who was a backslidden Christian and she wouldn't marry him to his frustration because she was waiting for a particular sign. Because as a young girl, she'd said to God, God, I will know the man when you bring the right man along because God, I want him to give me a very specific gift. And when a man comes along, God, who gives me this gift, I'll know he's the man that you have set apart for me. But she wouldn't tell him what it was. He's like, tell me, I'll go get it. I'll give it to you. We'll be sweet. She's like, I think you might be missing the point. Dave had this vision of God. He just knew he had to turn his life around and he knew it had to happen now. He got in his car. He drove into town. He went to a bookshop. said, look, I need to buy, I need to buy a Bible. And uh, the owner said, look, you might need to go to a Christian bookshop. He's like, what? They have Christian bookshops? Directions, went down to the Christian bookshop, went and said, look, I'd like to buy a Bible. They said, sure, what type of Bible? They have types of Bibles? Like what? The, like he knew nothing, right? You know, so he bought a Bible, got it gift wrapped up, and he drove to her house. She was a nurse and she was, uh, wasn't working that day. She was off shift that day. He drove, parked in her driveway and he called her. She came out of the house and he said to her, we're going to settle this for now. I can't live this way and we're going to settle this now. You say you're waiting for a sign. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go back inside the house. You're going to get a piece of paper. You're going to write down on that bit of paper what this thing is, what this sign is, what this gift is. He says, because I've bought you a gift and we need to settle this now. She went back inside the house in tears. She came back out and they stood there on the driveway and they exchanged. As she unwrapped and opened a beautiful gift Bible, he opened the piece of paper and read, the man that God has for me will give me the gift of a Bible. They got in the car, they drove into town, they visited the elderly pastor that used to be the pastor of his dad before he'd passed away. He led them in a salvation prayer, they got saved, they got married. Now over 20 years later and three kids later, and that ensuing time they left farming, they planted a church, and our pastor, a C3, a large C3 church in the South Island. In fact, he's on the national leadership team for C3 Churches of New Zealand. It's just an astonishing thing. I'm so glad I asked. You know, if I could, if I could meet that church elder who picked me up that day while I was hitchhiking, you know what I'd say to him? 
They'd say, sir, it's been 25 years and you need to know God's still answering my prayers. Sir, why don't you ask again? We need to ask. And so as we come to a close, I want to ask you three questions. Firstly, what is one thing that you would like to ask God just for you? Just for yourself. Now, I'm not saying we can go and ask them for helicopters and Lamborghinis and Teslas. But I think God's a loving, loving, loving dad who delights to see his kids enjoying this life a little bit. And if that's an issue for you, why don't you ask God and see what he does? Secondly, what's one thing that you would like to ask God for? For the ones you love, for a close friend for your family, for your kids, for your, what's, for your spouse. And then thirdly, what's one thing you would like to ask God for, for someone you know who is far from Him, someone who's not saved in your world? Would you start asking God for them?